Welcome to this podcast. This is the podcast for Pentecost Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. I'm Dr. Chuck McGathy from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina, and I welcome you as we celebrate together the 1,988th birthday of the Christian Church on this Very Sunday, nearly two millennium ago, the worldwide movement, originally called the Way of Following Jesus, was launched in the ancient city of Jerusalem. Today, all around the world, churches who are aware of and choose to honor their heritage will be examining the scriptures and preaching the message of a church that reaches beyond the borders of prejudice and nationalistic zeal and touches a world in need of good news. We join with the worldwide Christian community, especially on Pentecost Sunday, as we stress the universality of God's love and its implications on us who are citizens of the kingdom of God. This morning's worship service that I've planned uh, and am now doing ahead of time on podcast, I'll need to amend in a certain way. On Sunday morning, I'll be presenting a worship service that will speak to the hearts of a congregation who have, for almost 15 months, been separated. When loved ones died, families were able to recognize and have private services, but the church itself was unable to gather because of safety concerns. Now, as we are gradually coming back into live in-person worship again, and this being Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to have an opportunity for us to also join in with our brothers and sisters who have experienced loss and great time of need. There are so many names that will be read on Sunday morning, and those names will all be followed by the words of Jesus, which are both a prayer and a hope. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We will have communion also, and so if you are hearing this podcast and would like to tune in on the Facebook uh, channel or to tune in on the Simple Radio app to Rockingham County Radio at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, You can also be a participant in online communion or come in in person. We'd love to have you. Well, the way that this particular lesson starts out today is really something that precedes it. And I'm having Reverend Jan read this, but for the podcast purposes, I will read it. It is an introduction to the message today it comes from John's Gospel. It's the 14th chapter. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am there, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? 
Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and still you do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do and in fact will do greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. Yet you know him because he abides with you, and he will be with you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you love me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs so that when it does occur, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us be on our way. I asked Jan to read that particular scripture for this coming Sunday, the entire 14th chapter of the Gospel of John. That is a bit unusual. Typically, we take on smaller bites of the Bible for Sunday lesson. Today, however, is a special day, and therefore an exception is in order. Today, we began our worship remembering and praying. We remembered those for whom we could not hold public memorial services these last 15 months. We prayed for those who are left behind and still feel the pain of mourning. 
we are a church family and we are all connected by a bond of love. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one finds faith for living, so do we all. The passage starts, let not your hearts be troubled. The entire teaching of Jesus goes on to promise his followers that he will never leave them. A comforter, an advocate, the Holy Spirit of God will always be present. The chapter ends with words of action. Rise, let us be on our way. Though they did not necessarily know the way then, they knew who to follow. They listened to their Lord. I'd like you to listen now to what happened. Listen carefully to what happens to the ones Jesus reassured with troubled hearts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in a native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs in our own languages as we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I shall show portents in the heavens above, and signs on earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You that are Israelites, listen to what I have to say. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God's deeds of power, wonders and signs that he did among you. As you yourselves know, this man handed over to you according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of those outside the law. But God raised him up, having freed him from death, because it was, his, it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken." Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Moreover, my flesh will live in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One experience corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life, and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
fellow Israelites. I may say to you confidently of our ancestor David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would put one of his descendants on the throne. Foreseeing this, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, saying, He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh experience corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many signs and wonders were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all and any as had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The power of today's worship service is not found in any brilliant oratory offered by Reverend Jan or by me. Our objective today is to let the beauty and power of our faith speak for itself. When you arrive or tune in, you hear a report of a single church trying to deal with loss and heartache, moving toward a future of ministry together, but still feeling our way through the darkness, pain, and confusion. We remembered our loved ones and prayed for those who suffer their absence. We joined in communion that not only connects us with Christ and his church, but with the church past and future. We are reminded in beautiful song that we really would rather have Jesus. And now I'm here to complete the story. It is the story of the birth of the church. It is a story told in three parts. Three acts that, if understood, will help us as a church today. It is not necessary, but it might help to think of these movements of God's grace in an alliterative way. First is the plurality of the church. Second is the point of the church. And third is the progress of the church. The word pluralism has been abused. In fact, there are now some, even within the household of faith, who have come to believe it is a dangerous concept and should not be embraced as a positive value within the church. Those who hold to that either do not know what the word actually means or they do not know what the church is really all about. 
Our national motto is emblazoned in Latin, E Pluribus Unum, out of many, one. And it is how we best remember that the diversity of our nation is the strength of our nation. It is an idea directly taken from the foundation of the church. We learn that the birth of the church was based in mixed nationalities, ethnicities, races, and sexes. The church is supposed to be a diverse family of faith. This might be surprising to some. Some might say, well, there he goes again, trying to be the woke pastor. But here is the unavoidable truth of the Bible. The church was founded in pluralism. There were people from all over the world. Being born in Judea did not make one a better, more qualified, a more first-class Christian. In fact, God did not gift the visitors to Jerusalem with the ability to understand the Israelites, but gave the Israelites the gift of speaking their languages. That is a lesson for the church of all ages that we are to include and, yes, even reach out to communicate with and love those of other races, nationalities, and cultures. That may be upsetting to some modern-day believers who have come to believe that the best and most ultimate expression of the church is found in America. They would rather see a wholesale adoption of our values and even our language before we accept them as brothers and sisters of faith. But read the second chapter of Acts again and carefully. It says just the opposite. Now that might be surprising, but for some this will be surprising too. The foundational church was a place of equal opportunity for women. To put it bluntly, women were acknowledged as preachers from the get-go. Read verses 17 and 18. God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see vision, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Folks, I'm not trying to be a women's liber or anything other than just an honest preacher trying to handle rightly the word of truth. The church was plainly established into a new way of thinking, a way that included everyone. Next, let's consider the point of the church. According to this passage, and read it carefully at your leisure, the point of the church is the cross of Christ. The reason we gather is because we have this thing in common. The Bible says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, and it is followed by this. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. That is the point of the church of Jesus. That must be the point of our church too. The point of the church is not to be a social or political or ethnic club. The point of the church is not to be a safe place for a certain culture. The point of the church is not to be a cult of personality devoted to an overpowerful leader. Instead, we are to be a fellowship of diversity centered on the cross of Christ. I fear, however, that now more than ever before, we need to think clearly and deeply about being a church that gets the point, and then we are in turn to point 
to the cross. I hope you read your Bible and you read your Bible and that you agree that the church was founded in plurality and the point of the church is Jesus. But there is one more thing about this story you need to know. It is a story still unfolding. It concerns the progress of the church. The church has, even from the beginning, been an organization that has had to swim against the powerful currents of sin. I like the way I like the way the early Christians, uh, the show on television now about the early Christians called The Chosen, animates its opening credits. Pictured are a school of fish swimming in a circle, but then one by one, some fish change direction and swim against the crowd. What a picture of the chosen church. Most often, the last part of this passage is understood wrong. Let me read it again. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. Now, most likely you have thought the wrong way about this verse. We, and I do include myself in this, tend to view 3,000 converts in a single service as an evidence of revival and an overwhelmingly dominant message. I mean, what church meeting today would not be thrilled with that kind of result? But here is the contextual truth. In Jerusalem at that time, during the Feast of Pentecost, there were about 100,000 people. And the evidence from the Bible is that most all of them were hearing about and considering the claims of Jesus. And of those, only 3% responded in faith. Things really haven't changed that much. If we are to be followers of Christ called the church, we're going to have to face powerful currents of culture, politics, and even religion that want to turn our direction or at least compel us to give up. But the progress of the church was then and is now connected to Jesus. I'll end with this illustration that helps me and perhaps it will help you. Last week, as I listened to Reverend Jan teach our Bible study, my thoughts began to drift. I saw myself swimming desperately against a current so powerful that not only could I not make progress against it, but I felt it was sweeping me out into spiritual oblivion. Later on that day, I talked it over with Reverend Marsha. I knew I needed to deal with the image that bothered me, so I needed to alter somehow the mental image that left me in despair. Instead, I imagined the riptide at the ocean. Where I grew up, we were constantly warned of the powerful undertow that could kill a swimmer. Lying off the Florida Gulf Coast is a sandbar that breaks the waves before they can pound the beach with full force. The bar is sometimes located nearly a mile from the shore. Occasionally, there are gaps in the sandbar, and through these gaps, the current compounds its strength and rushes out to the open ocean. Unless you have a trained eye, you cannot see where this is. Every year, people die. Innocently walking along in knee-deep water, they're knocked down and swept out by a current as powerful as any river. The natural response is to oppose the movement and try to swim back to shore. Yet no swimmer ever made can swim against a riptide. Eventually, strength will fade and drowning is inevitable. But here is how I changed my mental picture. 
I had to admit I too was feeling overpowered by the currents that overwhelmed me. So I had to explore my mental image with Marsha just a bit further. This is what I remembered. If someone who is caught in a riptide will swim in another direction, then escape is not only possible, but fairly easy. But here is the key. It requires faith. Instead of trying to swim directly back to shore, go instead along the shore. For a while, the current will still take you out toward the open ocean, but eventually you will escape its grip and then it will be easy to get back to the beach. Now that was a mental picture that helped me. You see, we fight so hard to make things right in our world, but the world, just like that current, is too powerful. But now look down the beach. Take your attention off the current for a moment and look down the beach. There walking upon the sand is Jesus. He's beckoning you to swim toward him. No longer try with all your might to fight the tide. Instead, put all of your energy to getting to where he is. Swim toward Jesus. That is what the church is all about. It is an inclusive family of faith that is knit together by our faith in Jesus. Together we are called to follow him with all our might. And in the end, he will have the victory. Let us pray. Lord, teach us to swim toward you no matter what we are facing. No matter what scares us, overwhelms us, or threatens us, remind us that we can make it if we will just swim towards you. Help us embrace hope this Pentecost day, and so join all the saints who follow you. Amen. I'd like to remind you, that this podcast will not be on the air for the next two weeks. We'll come back following that. I will be traveling on a spiritual journey, so do keep me in your prayers. If you'd like to find out more about our church, if you'd like to contact us in any way and maybe even make a donation, you could do that easily. Just go to our website, which is www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. May you have a blessed Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, as you remember the power of Christ in your life and swim always toward Jesus.